don't talk to me unless it's about this. Welcome to season two, where we are rereading our first loves, the first books that we can remember really, really loving. And we're going way back to Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson. And Marie, tell me, what is your memory of reading this book? I don't have a super strong memory other than remembering and knowing that I liked it. Um, Yes, I remembered that it was about them creating this magical world together, which was something that I loved to do when I was a kid. And so that was the part of it that I remember connecting to. I did not remember that it was sad. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, (laughs) At all until I picked it up and was reading the author's notes at the front of the the foreword. And the person was talking about how sad it had made them when they read it the first time. And I texted you immediately, (laughs) like, what am I in for? (laughs) Do you remember how old you were when you read it? Given how little I remember about it, I'm guessing it was elementary school. Like early, early years, you know, it feels like a book you might read in third grade. I I don't know. Do you remember any of that? What do you remember about it? Why did you pick it? Yeah. I think I was in fifth grade is where the memory is. And I remember reading it with a friend and just both of us being so I don't you know we didn't read it literally together but like I just remember being so sad and like the first book that I you know cried my eyes out reading and really was like deeply in in the world of the book in my head and yeah I feel like this kind of kicked off this I was really into really sad books as a kid it was just like I don't want to know what that means about me psychologically um <laughs> But I would read these like, uh, do you remember the books that were like chicken soup for the blank soul? Yes. Yeah. I would read like chicken soup for the dying teenage soul. Like chicken soup for the grandmother's soul. I picture you (laughs) reading that in fifth grade. (laughs) So I feel like this book kicked off my like being into sad books, which is interesting because now I like I feel like every year that goes on, I can handle less and less sadness in my books. Um, But I mean, this book, I also. When I picked it up this time, I didn't realize what a acclaimed book it was. I just thought it was this book I liked. And obviously, it has a much bigger reach than that. And I mean, first of all, it was written in 1977. Um, so it's really old. And it's, let's see, what did it won? The Newbery Medal. Um, I think a bunch of other awards. And so it made me so happy when I brought this book up because we're what eight or nine years apart in age that like both of us had the same experience like oh my gosh yes that book let's reread it (laughs) yeah yeah that's funny I I also didn't know that it was critically acclaimed uh but yeah it does make sense that it was a part of both of our childhoods I'm sure our teachers referred us to this book and it seems like there are some elements of it that are a bit about coming of age in some way as a young child, you know, learning about life and death. Uh, and I think it's an accessible way for for kids to access that. Uh, and so, yeah, it makes sense to me that it would be recommended in, in mm-hmm. some way, even though it's sad. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I was worried when you told me that you didn't remember anything because when I was looking it up, I saw descriptions, you know, when you'd find it on the library page or like on Goodreads or Google Books, where it just said straight out, like, these two friends become best friends and then one of them dies, basically. And I was like, is that given away in the description? Um, it's not given away in the proper, you know, book jacket. Um, and I think I told you, don't read anything online. <laughs> I didn't. It was refreshing. I came into it really totally blind it, with the exception of remembering this world they had created together and then i read the foreword which was foreboding and so then the whole book once they became friends i'm like what's going to happen does leslie have cancer like what you know i just kept like thinking to myself like what's going to happen and then i mean we can get into the plot too but as yeah. it got closer to the moment that Le Leslie dies, they foreshadow it so much that I knew basically what was going to happen before it happened. But I don't think that was me remembering the plot. I think it's just the way that children's books are written are a little bit more uh, obvious yes. in, their, in their narratives. So Okay, so since I did remember that she was going to die, I kind of was... I feel like the foreshadowing didn't stick out to me as much because I just knew it was coming. So what stuck out to you in the foreshadowing of Leslie's death? Yeah, the way that the narrator talks about the storm. So to catch those of you up who haven't read it since childhood, <laughs> simple plot, uh, you know, this kind of two lonely outcast children at school become friends. Um, and create this fantasy world together in the forest. And they decide that the way that you have to enter their, their fantasy world, Terabithia, is by swinging on a rope swing across this creek. And in the majority of the year, the creek is really tiny. And so it's almost like, you know, kind of a magical thing that they're doing. It's that they don't have to actually use the rope, but it, it's what they choose to do. And um, as they approach the time in the book where Leslie dies, they are receiving these unprecedented And so the narrator's talking about how scared he is, about how big the creek is getting. And they go during these rainstorms a couple days in a row. And every time he's feeling so terrified to cross into Terabithia, but he's going anyway because Leslie is brave and he wants to be brave too. And then on the day that she dies, he gets this invitation from his favorite, favorite teacher at school to go to the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C., uh, which is something he's never done before. And he thinks about inviting Leslie, but then he kind of is selfish because he wants to be alone with that teacher because he loves her so much. And so he doesn't invite Leslie. And so to me, there were a couple things there that were foreshadowing, like the river is getting high. They're still going anyway, even though he's really freaked out, but he doesn't want to tell Leslie. And he has this bad feeling inside that something bad's going to happen. And then the day of the accident, which Leslie dies swinging across the rope swing, the rope swing uh, breaks. He he kind of feels guilty about not inviting her. And there's this moment that all of those things combined. I was like, they're really leading us 
to what happens. And when he gets home from his glorious day with his teacher, his whole family waiting to tell him and also th- doesn't they didn't really know where he was. So they thought he might have died as well. Um, and so it was just this really um, hard moment. So I thought that that was very clearly forecast to me. I don't know that that would come through for a child necessarily. It felt like they were maybe preparing, like if you were a young person reading it, mm-hmm. preparing them for it. Well, I'm also remembering now when his little sister Maybell, um, the day that uh, Leslie goes with Jess's family to church for Easter, and then they're talking about God and religion, the Bible after, and uh, Leslie says something like, you know, I don't I should think she says there's no hell or I'm not worried about that. And Mabel says, but what if you die? And that's a very clear foreshadow. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had talked a little bit about what in the story age, well, what didn't in general, what do you feel like it was like rereading it, having loved it so much and remembering the agony? It sounds like the tears from childhood because I didn't have that experience. Right. I I was sort of coming into a blind like a new book in a way. So for you, what was mm-hmm. that like rereading it? Yes. Well, I feel like this is kind of two things. It's like how it aged in me and also how the like the content of the book ages in time. Um, I feel like for me personally, I had almost the exact same experience reading the book where I, I was like, well, I cry as hard, you know, since I know it's going to happen. And the moment you find out that Leslie died, I didn't cry because I was like, I know what's happening. But the moments when the adults are talking to him and, you know, he has the nice moment with his dad or the, the, the teacher that he thought was mean connects with him and he connects with uh, Leslie's grandma, I think it is. Like those moments, that's what made me ball. And I just, yeah, cried my eyes out still the whole end of the book. But then more like the book in time, I was really surprised by how the book took on toxic masculinity like way before that was a phrase. I feel like I was just very struck by the opening scenes of the book, how they kept hitting at these things where like Jess feels really restrained by the expectations that his dad has of him or he wishes that his dad would just give him a hug or that he had someone to kind of talk to. And he feels like he has to hide his art because that's not something a boy should be doing. And so I really liked that part of it. I think, you know, something that's harder is there is a lot of stuff in there about like body size and kind of, you know, making fat jokes. And that doesn't feel good to reread. And it's one of those things where, you know, it makes me think as an author, when you choose to put in something like that, like, it's not that the author is saying these are okay things to say. Um, they're just telling, like, this is probably things that kids are talking about and making fun of other kids for. And like, and so it's it's by shedding light on it, I think you can show the reader, like, oh, this is actually a really mean thing to do. But it also is just uncomfortable to even shed light on it. And yeah. so I feel like that's a very, like, torn place to be in with any kind of, like, evolving hard topic. Yeah, those were the moments that I picked up uh, picked up on too. Is the fat shaming and name calling, and um, yeah, it made me cringe, you know, inside. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to think about. I do think, like you're saying, it's not the author's perspective. I think it's telling a story about kids and the way they are and how they treat each other and bully each other. Um, and I think there's some nice moments in that too that are redeeming where, you know, the person that they are being bullied by and also bullying in that way, they, they connect, um, it, Leslie connects with her in a really hard moment when, when the bully is crying in the bathroom and helps her through something. And, uh, so I think there's some, some redemption portions of that story too, that part of the story. Uh, right. but, but I, I also connected with that feeling of, oh, I don't know if people would write this way about that. Probably not or not as often. It makes me think, you know, I wonder right now in children's lit, what surely there are scenes being written where someone's being bullied. Like, what are they being bullied for mm -hmm. in today's books? Mm -hmm. uh, and how will that be viewed in 40 plus years? Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I don't know. I haven't read a new children's book in a long time. Same. I think also, you know, his relationship with that teacher it kind of felt a little cringy sometimes, which which makes me sad of like, oh, this shouldn't have to feel cringy because there's nothing actually sexual or like anything like that about it. Um, but just in today's day and age, there's just more control over I think people of the opposite genders, age-wise, being for, you know a young and old person being friends or or anything like that, and so yeah, probably today it would never happen for a, a woman teacher to invite a young boy on this little field trip. Um, but you know, there wasn't anything; it wasn't actually bad in the book. It's just I feel like a thing that is now, uh, you know, rightfully so, people are more sensitive to it, but there is something kind of lost because of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, the, it was definitely on the line of appropriate, it felt like, for me to, uh, of course, we're in the head of the child who is super enamored with the teacher. Uh, that is, and she's not doing anything that crosses the line at all. But of course, uh, throw a child's mind. He He's really really kind of in love with her <laughs> i know it's so sweet <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah yeah so so did you feel like you loved it as much as you did the first time i'm curious about that i think i don't know if i could say i loved it as much i think there's yeah something different about being at that age and having the first time i read it but i still really really liked it and i was surprised by I feel like there were I was trying to notice kind of like what moved the story along and I was surprised by obviously she's a really talented writer and so I know there's a lot of hard work that goes into it but I was kind of surprised by like the that you don't need to for example she didn't have to explain why Leslie and Jess connected with each other it was just like oh we're going to say these two people connect and basically their first play date, they're going to make Terabithia. And so what I was surprised by is that like you could take out kind of 
basically, if this is an adult novel, I think you would just, there'd just be more like filler stuff in between all the main events. And so you can take all that out and like, it still is a great story and uh, really, it's still really connected to my heart. And so, yeah, I was kind of looking for what are the techniques of a young, uh, this is probably, this probably isn't even young adult. This is just children's um, literature. And it's fun to see how they still work as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I felt a little bit distant from the story and I was trying to figure out why. And I'm wondering if some of what you just described is part of it because what I'm used to reading or maybe what I like to read has a bit more of the psychological analysis that is happening mm-hmm. in the narrator or protagonist's mind through the story and that and that is sort of part of the story and we've had books that we've talked about on the podcast that are like that um and and so maybe I was missing that because I think you're right to say it's it's simple in a very sweet way the way that kids friendships tend to be simple it's like you like the same color your best friends <laughs> and mm-hmm. now you play together every day and um you know i think they connected on on a couple of different levels of course you know they were both kind of these lonely sort of outcasts that didn't fall into gender norms which i appreciated too about the story and they kind of got made fun of for it both of them but it didn't have to go into that right Mm -hmm. she doesn't really that's you kind of pick that up from the descriptions of the characters and what they're experiencing but she really keeps it um pretty simple and um so I think if that made me feel a little bit distant from it like oh I could see why I liked this as a child but I don't love it the same way as an adult definitely yeah and yeah, this, I mean, this book isn't written for us to read and analyze like conversations with friends, but we're doing it anyways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, um, like I, I, what you're saying about Leslie, for example, the gender norm, she didn't really fill. It's, it's nice and simple that that was just in there. And there was never a scene where someone asked Leslie, like, why is your hair short? Or mm-hmm. why don't you wear dresses? Like, you can just leave it in there. And then let people think about it however they want to. And you don't have to like, some things are very obviously explained in your face because it's children's literature. And then other things are just kind of these ideas that are seated there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were a couple of really funny, uh, there are just certain lines that made me laugh because, um, for instance, one of them uh, and Jess's. I want to find one that's like, oh, you know, one of the insults was like Gary Fulter, who's <laughs> one of the other characters, students in school. Oh. One of the lines was Gary Fulcher could go to you know where and warm his toes. And there <laughs> are just a couple of lines like that throughout that made me laugh because they're so childlike. Um, there was another one about Leslie. He says she was sitting straight up in her seat, 
looking as pleased with herself as a motorcycle rider who just made it over 14 trucks. I just <laughs> thought it was so cute. And it's, you can picture, it's just hit the child's mind and the image, you know, it's just perfect. So, you know, I felt disconnected from it on one level, but on another level, I just thought her writing was, was really, really brilliant for, you know, the audience that she's writing for. Yes. And I, I remember just in the first chapter, there was just metaphor and simile after one another that all were like very farm related and you know just the seeing the one on the first page um he would be hot as pop and grease and they're just very endearing <laughs> they are really endearing kind of folksy and maybe it's because it was written in the 70s and some of this is language from that time i i, I don't know but it yeah there were a couple of they just made me laugh um oh the other one the other one when she confronts the bully he half expected her to come through flat and straight out like the coyote on roadrunner but she came in yeah. smiling without so much as a black eye <laughs> you know just <laughs> childlike images that are still really uh fun to read yeah she you know the book isn't actually from jess's point of view but the narrator is kind of in jess's head more than anyone's and like it they really the narrator speaks so well for his 10 year old boy brain yes yeah yeah um and one of the things i i guess though i felt distance from it I appreciated at the end of the book in reading the afterword that the author wrote about her experience writing the book, why she wrote the book in the first place, which was her family, her son's best friend died suddenly, was struck by lightning at the same time that she was going through a cancer cancer treatment herself. And, um, she just really needed to process it. And her child was experiencing really intense grief, um, not understanding death, not understanding that everyone close to him wasn't also going to just suddenly die soon uh, as well. And so that was kind of how the book was born. And in reading that context and in reading the feedback from readers that she received about the impact in their lives and how it helps them process different grief in their own lives, I really appreciated it even more. I, as a, t- a tool almost for this age group to be coming into contact such a big which is losing someone that you love unexpectedly um and the different ways that that um you know Jess feels those feelings and the ways that the adults around him help him feel those feelings I I, it became 
more tender and more emotional for me almost in the like after it was over and considering the context than I felt while I was actually reading it. I agree. I was really didn't expect that when I read the afterward and it was I think she even described it that she wrote this story and she shared it with the family of her son's best friend thinking this book you know they don't it doesn't even need to go anywhere I just want to show it to them and see what they think and you know just to go to that whole process not even with the intention of making a book and then to you know hearing that that family really supported this this story and it does you know the it's interesting because the grieving process is actually very short in the like compared to the rest of the book um and you know one interpretation could be oh it's kind of phony and he quickly goes to like he quickly moves through the stages of grief and then like sees the the light at the end but again i like like you said that's the audience that it's for i think it needs to move that fast and you know there could be a whole ad- adult novel that the whole book is about processing your friend's death and she condensed it into i don't know 50 pages or something um but i think it had to be done that way and it is important to share a story that helps a child learn about grief that doesn't end in just more sadness and like oh it's never going to be okay and um so i i think knowing the context of it and the kind of the purpose of it it makes sense the grieving process he goes through yeah yeah and i think for older readers myself included there are those nods to the fact that grief doesn't end you know the teacher talking about her husband and Mm -hmm. how she wants help remembering her husband all the time even though he's gone and so they can help each other remember leslie i loved that you know Mm -hmm. and i think that's a way to connect to the child, but also feels true as an adult, you know, who has experienced people they love dying. It's like, oh, we all want other people in our lives to help us keep those memories alive of the people that we love once they're gone. And so, yeah, it felt appropriate for the child, but there's also these nods to, you know, what grieving feels like for people of different ages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he went through so many different emotions. You know, he had a stage of denial. He had anger. He was angry at Leslie. He was, he had this kind of selfish thought of like, oh, maybe I'll get some attention at school uh, now because people will feel sorry for me. And I appreciated that she put in those different, sometimes cringeworthy things. Yeah. Yeah. That was really the complexity of, the thought, I remember there was one specific moment where he had a thought of, oh, I'll finally get to be the fastest runner at the school because Leslie beat everyone and now she wasn't there. And then immediately feeling terrible for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of. uh Yeah, she does show quite complex in the short period of the book that 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 is happening. Hello, everyone. It's Caitlin here to say a sincere thank you for listening and to shamelessly ask you to support us. There are four ways you can do that. And the first three are totally free. 
Number one, leave us a review. Five stars, please. Number two, sign up for our email newsletter. Number three, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you use. And number four, make a small monthly contribution on our Patreon page, where you'll also receive special listener and Patreon bonuses. All of those links are in the show notes. Remember, we want to hear your episode ideas and share your audio messages on the show, so make sure you sign up for either the newsletter or Patreon if you want to be up to date on that. And we are trying to stay sane and happy over here, so we're taking a limited to zero approach to social media. So the only way to stay in the loop with the show is to do one of those four things. Thank you for being here. Uh Have you read any of her other books? No. I don't think I have. I haven't either. Uh yeah, this was the this was the only one. What what are the other I don't have a list of her other books for some reason. I don't know if I Oh, I have there's a list here in the book. I mean, she's written a lot of books. There's this is like a list of 15 other books. Um I don't really recognize the names of many of them myself, but I'm sure many of them are also widely read. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else about Bridge to Terabithia that stuck out for you or that you wanted to talk about? I think one of the things that I enjoyed about revisiting it was it took me back to the time in my life when I had that fort in the woods behind my parents' house. and. The reason that I think I loved this book in the first place was because of that experience of how they treated it with such awe and holiness and the memory of that uh, type of play and time in your life. I, I just, and they were reading, I remember there's a line where right after they create Terabithia, Jess is saying that Leslie loans him all of her Narnia books to read and you know again remembering the time when I was reading those two and the experience of like hoping that you would get to go through the wardrobe to Narnia you know (laughs) um so I I think that part of it and uh, the way they play there just made me feel kind of warm and fuzzy and have good memories yeah Mm -hmm. what about you well, hearing you describe your time, you know, with your forest world made me think about my memory of the book was that they they went deep into the forest and they created this whole, you know, it was very grand and big. And then rereading it was funny because so I was like, oh, they were like within viewing distance of their house and <laughs> just kind of stepped over some pebbles and then built right, right there. Um, and so, you know, everything's always grand during your childhood memory. And also... Maybe think about the final scene, which is the scene that really just got me when when Jess is building the bridge and and then he brings Maybell over. And I feel like always in his time with Leslie, he was always just like, Wow, Leslie, how does she come up with these things that she says? She's so imaginative. She can just play the queen so well. And he was always like, What do I say that sounds like I'm playing the character well enough? And then he just so like took on that part of Leslie that he always envied and he, you know. He spoke in in the magical king's terms of like, oh, look, the people of Terabithia are watching 
their new princess or queen come over. And so that was that was uh, just just really got me. Yeah, that is a sweet moment in the story. Uh, yeah, almost him kind of getting older and passing that imagination world to his younger sister in a really positive way. Whereas he didn't he didn't walk away from it and have it be a dark place that he could never return to. He sort of passed it forward, that which is a really hopeful and sweet ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I for, I actually totally blocked out that that ending part. <laughs> sweet. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Well, we talked about sharing some recent either books we've been reading or other obsessions in our life. What's on your list? Well, um. One that I've had on my radar for a while, but I'm finally just reading because I have the time, is the book My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem. Have you heard about about this book? No. It's nonfiction, uh, and it is written by a somatic therapist, uh, and it's about racial justice and he's talking about he's speaking to um and in his words sort of people with white bodies people with black bodies and people who are um police and talking about ways that you know a lot of racial justice work is done in a heady way we're talking about it we're trying to rework the way we think about things and understand the injustice that has happened and and do things differently and he's arguing that um this all lives in our bodies and he's explaining the science around intergenerational trauma um, and how that lives in all of us regardless of your skin color um in the u.s and providing like tools to help you rework the way your physical body responds to um, race. And uh, it's, I'm really excited to learn more about somatic therapy. Uh, A lot of it is about that mind-body connection, which is what drew me in. I had heard him interviewed by Krista Tippett, about the book and I've listened to it twice because I loved it so much and so highly recommend that as a starting point um it was an on being episode probably two years ago maybe more um and so I the the book has been on my radar for quite a while (laughs) uh but I I finally picked it up and uh I'm really really enjoying it um do you have you gotten to one of the exercises yet? I'd be curious to hear an example. Yeah, one of the exercises that he does on the podcast, which he also uh, one of the first ones you do on the book, um, and a lot of it is sort of meditative breathing. But what he talks about is the experience of when you settle into a physical space into a room of physically looking around. So like looking around behind you on both sides and like feeling your body in the chair um and talking about the feeling of safety that you get um 
particularly for people who have been oppressed, knowing that like what's knowing what's behind you physically and that you're Mm -hmm. safe and that you're in a safe space. And so that is like the physical practice of like when you sit down in a chair, like turning and looking behind you. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's just one of the practices. But I think he he talks a lot about doing visualization exercises around, you know, picture someone, you know, in the book, he's talking about race and he's talking about people who are um, working as a as police. And so he said, you know, for someone who's not a police person, like picture like someone walking down the street in a uniform, like like notice what happens in your body. Mm-hmm. And um, he trying to kind of re- retrain your responses based on because I think he has different chapters for different demographics that he's talking to in the book. So um, I'm still I'm probably in the first 20 percent of the book. So I've got a ways to go, but recommend at a minimum yeah. the podcast. And if you liked what you hear, the book for sure. Yeah, thank you. The physical stuff, I think, is so interesting and I notice for myself so useful whenever I get kind of a reminder from whether if it's, you know, my therapist or just a friend or like in any context to kind of come back to your body in a moment of stress or, you know, high emotions. And my therapist is actually showing me this kind of, uh, I forget if it's a theory or what, you know, this. It was basically a grid of the brain and how like everything has to go first through the physical. So like you can't even get to the intellectual and the emotional reasoning unless you first regulate your physical body. And yeah, that's not really like you said, it's definitely not a part of the conversation about race and it's not really the part of conversation about anything. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 I appreciate his frameworks a lot. And there's been a lot of other work and science research done around you know, the impact of your bodily experience on the rest of your experience in the world. But like you said, we tend to try and ignore that or push it down. So I appreciate mm-hmm. the the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, I, this book I finished probably two months ago, but it was the most recent book I read that I really, really loved. And it was called I Loved You More by Tom Spanbauer, who's actually a Portland author. And I've been reading more Portland Portland authors. And I just loved it so much. I had such a deep connection to the main character. And I still like think about him like as if he's a friend that I know. And it deals with some very interesting, like blurred lines between love and friendship. And so there's just, there's a lot to think about. I want to eventually read it with you and talk about it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> adding it to my list. Yeah. And... It was actually the most recent novel he wrote. So now I I realize I didn't even know that when I picked it out, but he has, you know, I think six maybe other novels um, from his long writing career. So I'm excited to read the rest of them. And then right now I'm in the middle of reading To Paradise by Hanya Yanagihara. Did you ever read A Little Life? I have specifically avoided that book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I... <laughs> I went through a breakup a few years ago and asked people for recommendations of what I should read and was referred to that book by someone who said, if you really want to feel sad, wallow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
this is the book for you. And at the time, I chose not to do that and haven't gone back. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the most trauma and tragedy-filled book I've ever read. So I don't actually recommend it to people, but I also, I was so enraptured with the characters and like deep in, they're like deep in my heart. Um, (laughs) But so this is another book by that author and it's very, very long. Um, And I'm struggling, like I keep going back and forth between being like, I'm really into this and then being like, this is just too wordy and too long. And I can see that I still have like 400 pages left. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm going to, my friend who recommended it said that there's three parts and she said that parts one and three were her favorites. And I'm like slogging through part two right now. Um, she did say I could probably skip the rest of part two and be fine. So I've thought about, thought about doing that, but I'm like trying to stick with a little bit more. Um, yeah, so we'll see next time we talk if I have finished it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the wild card fiction book that I read recently that kind of blew my mind was Vladimir, which yeah. was recommended to me by two or three people in my friend group and I decided to read nothing about it before I started reading it and I guess I would just it's it's a contemporary uh novel and takes on some of the gray areas around the Me Too movement, I would say, in that the the plot, which is giving nothing away, is um, the protagonist in the book is the wife of a college professor who had been having affairs with students for a long time and is now being confronted about that they were consensual affairs at the time but because of the power imbalance and other things now that sort of there's more energy around me too the students are coming back and saying you know the power imbalance was wrong this shouldn't have happened and uh so that is that is where it kind of the story starts and of course the 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 wife is the person that you're closest to the character you're closest to in the book um and vladimir she is also a professor at the university and vladimir for which the book is titled is a new young professor who has just started at the university that she sort of feels an affection for Mm. so it, it i will say it is one of the most nothing that happened in the book was predictable oh wow okay yeah and the end of it i really i am excited for somebody else i know to read it (laughs) so that we can talk about what happens what the hell what the hell (laughs) happened (laughs) okay cool so i'm gonna put this on recommend if you are looking forward to finishing a book and saying WTF. <laughs> yeah. Please. Chaotic. It's chaotic. Nice. And uncom- uncomfortable <laughs> at times. But uh, I think it asks it asks interesting questions. Wait, wait. Before you go, don't forget, please, to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, sign up for our email newsletter, or support us on Patreon. 
We so appreciate you being here, and we hope to get to know you more through one of these avenues. So this isn't such a weird one-way speaking into the void kind of thing. Anyways, thank you again for listening. 